subscribe, stay up to date. Episodes drop every other Monday. Welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast, the place for reviews, rants, and randomness. I'm your host, Matt Sorosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to watch a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. To join in on the conversation, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sorosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed, or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, as my friends started to settle down in their relationships, they always asked if I was going to get married. And I've had to pretend that it's something I've deeply pondered over. I've gone to a mountain monastery to find my chi or whatever. But the truthful answer is a resounding no. Why would I want to sign up to potentially lose half my stuff? I've got cool stuff. Can anyone give me a reason why people still get married? Don't you see the statistics? If airlines came out and said, planes have over a 50% chance of crashing, would people be flying anymore? (laughs) I don't think so. And none of my married friends sound happy. Luckily, their wives don't listen to this podcast. I can't hang out because my wife wants to go to Nordstrom's. I can't buy that because it doesn't go with the house decor. My life is relegated to a 20 by 10 space I laughingly call a man cave. Yeah, that life sounds like a real treat to me. You wouldn't want to be married if you were on this side of the conversation. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is skip it. Two stars watch at your own risk. Three stars standard fare. Four stars worth checking out. And five stars must see. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. On this episode of the podcast, I'll be reviewing Arthur from 1981. So how'd I miss it? Well, not sure really. This one has been on my list for a while. In fact, when I listened to Opie and Anthony way back in the day, they had a sound machine that would play clips from this movie, and I knew where it was from, so you'd think I would have watched it sooner. But that brings us to today. It was written and directed by Steve Gordon, who helmed episodes of Good Time Harry, and scribed episodes of The New Dick Van Dyke Show, Chico and the Man, Barney Miller, and The Practice, which he also created. It stars Dudley Moore as Arthur Bach. Alongside Peter Cook, Jonathan Miller, and Alan Bennett, they created Beyond the Fringe for the Edinburgh Festival, a show they ended up performing in London and Broadway, which earned them a special Tony Award. Cook and Moore would become a double act, teaming in sketch series not only, but also, and films The Wrong Box, Bedazzled, and The Hound of the Baskervilles. He made his Hollywood debut in 1978's Foul Play, with Goldie Hawn and Chevy Chase. This led to high-profile movies Arthur, Lovesick, Romantic Comedy, Unfaithfully Yours, Best Defense, and as narrator in The Adventures of Milo and Otis. 
His career stalled a bit in the 90s, as his brand of humor was considered passé, but continued to work until being diagnosed with a degenerative brain disorder. He was nominated for one Academy Award for this movie. He was appointed a Commander of the Order of the British Empire in 2001, shortly before his death. Liza Minnelli plays Linda Marola. The talented daughter of Judy Garland and Vincent Minnelli began her career in musical theater and on the nightclub circuit in New York City. She made her Broadway debut in Flora, the Red Menace, which she won a Tony Award for her performance, before embarking on a solo tour. Her breakthrough role on the big screen would be as Pookie Adams in The Sterile Cuckoo, but achieved her greatest success in the movie version of Cabaret in 1972. She was awarded an Oscar for Best Actress in a Leading Role. A year later, she starred in the television special Liza with a Z, earning her a Primetime Emmy. In the 80s, she bounced between film, television, and theater, appearing in The King of Comedy, The Muppets Take Manhattan, Fairy Tale Theater, A Time to Live, and The Rink. In 1990, she was honored with a Grammy Legend Award, which was the final piece in her EGOT. I think one of my favorite roles of her has to be as Lucille Ostero in Arrested Development. She is truly an underrated comedic actor. This is something to look out for. During the infamous moose scene, the line, Will you forget about the moose for now? was unscripted because actor Stephen Elliott was tired of all the improvisation by Dudley Moore. So let's jump into it. Arthur Bach is a rich playboy who passes the time throwing his money around and being perpetually boozed up. He is taken care of by his loyal driver, Bitterman, and quick-witted butler, Hobson, who try and minimize his embarrassing behavior. After a night on the town where he picked up a hooker to keep him company, the next morning he visits his father at the family business. He informs his son that unless Arthur marries Susan Johnson, the daughter of a business associate, he will be cut off from his $750 million inheritance. He agrees to the ultimatum, despite not being in love with her. While shopping at Bergdorf Goodman, Arthur witnesses a woman stealing a tie. When she's confronted by the store security guard, Arthur steps in pretending to know her. They act like an old married couple and he makes an excuse for her possessing the tie. When the air is cleared, Arthur introduces himself to Linda Marola, who gives him her number. He is instantly smitten and asks her on a date. With his wedding date looming, will his love for Linda outweigh his love for money? Here's a quote without context. Thank you for a memorable afternoon. Usually one must go to a bowling alley to meet a woman of your stature. Arthur is a fun romantic comedy. The performances of Dudley Moore and Liza Minnelli are pitch perfect. They have tremendous chemistry from the very first scene together. But the butler Hobson, played by John Gilgood, has the biggest laughs by far, with his deadpan humor and pithy one-liners. The sense of humor can be considered outdated or inappropriate now. Some of the jokes don't land as strong, but these are few and far between. Most of the punchlines are still relevant and just as funny as ever. A couple of notable supporting characters. Linda's father is played by Barney Martin, best known as Jerry's dad from Seinfeld. Paul Gleason, assistant principal Richard Vernon from The Breakfast Club, has a brief scene as an office executive. Phyllis Somerville portrays a salesperson which I'm only mentioning because I'm currently re-watching The Big C, where she plays the neighbor Marlene, so it's a recent familiar face for me. I think it's one of the better romantic comedies. It's fairly paint-by-numbers, but I'm fine with that in this particular genre. I mean, there aren't too many directions for this story to go. They're either going to be together or they're not. 
But the journey getting there is where writer-director Steve Gordon and actor Dudley Moore can add those special touches that makes the film stand out. And stand out it does. Now for a little trivial trivia. While filming in New York City, Liza Minnelli boarded a bus thinking it was part of the scene, but soon realized she was on an actual working Midtown bus. The cinematography was captured by Fred Schuler, whose filmography includes Stir Crazy, The King of Comedy, Easy Money, and Fletch. It was edited by Susan E. Morse, who worked on The Warriors, Manhattan, Stardust Memories, Broadway Danny Rose, Alice, and was nominated for Best Film Editing of Hannah and Her Sisters. The score was composed by Burt Bacharach, who wrote the music for What's New Pussycat, Casino Royale, Lost Horizon, Night Shift, and won Best Music, Original Score for a Motion Picture for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and Best Music, Original Song for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and this movie. The soundtrack features songs by Dudley Moore, including Strangers in the Night, Blue Moon, and If You Knew Susie. Christopher Cross sung Arthur's theme, Best That You Can Do, which he co-wrote with Burt Bacharach, Carol Bayer Sager, and Peter Allen. It reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100, won an Academy Award and Golden Globe for Best Original Song, and appeared on AFI's 100 Years, 100 Songs list. The runtime is 1 hour 37 minutes, absolutely perfect. It had a budget of $7 million and grossed over $95 million at the box office. It was the fourth highest-grossing film of 1981. It was nominated for four Oscars at the 54th Academy Awards, winning two for Best Original Song and Best Actor in a Supporting Role for John Gielgud. On the Ski Index, I give it four out of five stars. Add half a star if you've ever been caught between the moon and New York City. If you've seen Arthur and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along, each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there'll be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. As we head into the MLB postseason, and the Mets are, once again, on the outside looking in, I've been watching a lot of videos on baseball stadiums. I know there are people who believe that there should be more standardized dimensions, but I prefer the uniqueness of each stadium. When Marlins Park, now Lone Depot Park, opened in Miami, it was one of my favorite stadiums. I liked how it was built with inspiration from the surrounding Cuban neighborhood. Yes, the home run sculpture was gaudy, but it was bright and colorful and reflective of the populace. And I loved the fish tanks behind home plate. It was such a unique feature that could only be at Marlins Park. But the ownership group removed both of these elements and stripped the stadium of its personality. Which, you know, shouldn't be surprising since Jeter was a wet towel. I also liked the idea that the Yankees front office sat around a conference table and said, We're gonna make this right field porch so close a little leaguer could hit a home run, but we're not gonna sign any lefty bats to take advantage of it. That's the type of management that's the reason they haven't made a World Series appearance since 2009, and will match their longest title drought of 14 years from 1982 to 1996. Congrats, Bronx Bombers! Now, while stadiums do have similar dimensions, the reason why they aren't exact like football or basketball is because when they were first being built, the stadiums had to be located in a centralized place that fans could easily get to which was usually in the middle of cities where there were physical limitations. 
if there ever was a motion to have more uniform baseball stadiums, places like Fenway Park and Camden Yards would have to purchase all the surrounding buildings and roads, which just isn't feasible. So the MLB decided to allow differences in each locale, and because of that, we have some beautiful and unique parks. But now I'm going to list my top five favorite stadiums. At number five, Minnesota Twins Target Field. I just like the look and feel of it with that limestone on the outside, and then in specific places, including that overhang in right field. Just a nice modern design element. At number four, we have Seattle Mariners T-Mobile Park. I don't like many retractable roof stadiums, but this one really works. And when it's open, you can see Lumen Field, the Seattle Seahawks Stadium. I'm going to do number three and number two at the same time, because the reasons are the same. Cincinnati Reds Great American Ballpark, and the Pittsburgh Pirates PNC Park. They've got bridges, they've got rivers, incredible views. What's not to like? And at number one, shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, the San Francisco Giants Oracle Park. I think it's one of the most beautifully built stadiums. I love the brick wall in front of McCovey Cove. Obviously, the splash hits are really exciting when that happens. And I just don't think there's any bad seat in the house. So I'm going to post a video entitled MLB's Strangest Stadiums, and one that critiques every MLB stadium. They're all available in the Matt Watch That Playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about American Housewife. Created by Sarah Dunn, who is a writer on Murphy Brown, Veronica's Closet, Spin City, and Bunheads. It tells the story of Katie, the matriarch of the Otto family, who feels out of place in Westport, Connecticut, and their Stepford wives. Her husband, Greg, is a history professor and war reenactment aficionado. They have three children, Taylor, the dim-witted oldest daughter, Oliver, their ambitious middle child, and Anakat, the quirky baby of the family. It stars Katie Mixon from Eastbound and Down and Mike and Molly, Dietrich Bader of the Drew Carey Show fame, Meg Donnelly from Disney's Zombies franchise, Daniel DiMaggio, who played a young Michael Weston on Burn Notice, and Julia Butters, who portrayed Anna Cat in Season 1 through 4, and Giselle Eisenberg, who took over the role in Season 5. It also features Ali Wong, Carly Hughes, Jessica St. Clair, Wendy Malick, Evan O'Toole, Sarah Rue, and Peyton Meyer. This is a fun family sitcom that would have fit right into the TGIF lineup on ABC. It does have a stronger edge than programs like Full House or Family Matters, but the formula is pretty much the same. The show is narrated by Katie Otto, so a lot of the comedy does come from the thoughts she has versus what she actually says out loud. I like that she and her husband Greg have a loving relationship. Usually in these types of sitcoms, the father is a bit of adult and the mother is an uptight shrew, but they show a lot of affection to each other. The children somewhat fall into stereotypes. The oldest daughter can be a dullard, but there are moments where she's inventive and outsmarts her parents. Similarly, the middle child, Oliver, despite their middle-class upbringing, wants to be accepted into the affluent community, so he wears preppy clothing and acts very snobby and above his family, but there are moments where he's generally warm and caring. And Anakat has OCD, and while it's used for comedic purposes, the writers handle it with a lot of respect. It's all of these elements that make the show a bit more unique. 
I think the first four seasons are excellent, but starting with the fifth, they added a lot more characters to the family dynamic, so it changed the vibe of the show slightly. Some characters that I enjoyed in bits and pieces were now in almost every scene, so it got a bit too much. Also, Julia Butter is left to pursue other opportunities, and her character was one of my favorite parts, because the writers constantly gave her the best lines, and she just knew how to deliver them with the perfect face. Like other series around this time, it was abruptly cancelled due to the pandemic, so unfortunately not all the storylines are neatly wrapped up, but you can still enjoy the ride with the Otto family. American Housewife was on for five seasons, 103 episodes from 2016 to 2021. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed, or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Head over to MattSarosky.com for the latest news and updates, and come back next time for the reviews, rants, and randomness. When she's confronted by the store secretary, secretary, her breakthrough role on the big screen would be as Pookie Adams in the sterile crew 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 crew. Her husband Greg is a history professor and war reenactment enthusiasto. Enthusiasto. Wow, it's not a word, but that's a great word.